welcome back to the Room Madness Podcast, the place for everyone who is crazy about rheumatology to connect, collaborate, compete, and learn together. My name is David Leverance, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to the middle of our bracketology discussion on the right side of the Room Madness bracket. If you are just pressing play and didn't listen to the previous episode, you may want to go back and listen to the previous one where we started talking about the right side of the bracket. Um, We are now in the middle of that conversation and you are joining part two. Thank you very much. Well, we're gonna move on down to the bottom two regions in this side of the bracket. Um, So the next region is called the whole patient. Um, And this uh, region is really thinking about how we're thinking about our patients, not just from a disease standpoint, but from a a person standpoint. So uh, there are two teams here. One is the Lumina cohort. This team was proposed by um, the Northwestern Rheumatology Fellowship Program. Um, And I'm so delighted that they chose this article. And um, there are actually three of them here for this podcast to tell us about it. So I don't know who wants to start, but tell us why you chose Lumina and what we need to know about this um, article. Thank you so much for having us. My name is Lakshmi. I'm a second year fellow at Northwestern and I have my awesome Lumina team, Brian and Laura here. And we're all going to vouch for how strongly Lumina should be the top of the bracket this year. So starting out, the root of the word Lumina means light. And it's shed a lot of light on the interplay between biologic and non-biologic factors in room diseases and especially in lupus. And it was one of the first studies that actually studied the interplay between ethnicity, social determinants of health, and the effect on morbidity and mortality in lupus. It was done for about 10 years, from 1994 to 2004. And they studied patients of varying ethnicities, Caucasian, um, Texan, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and had profound findings at the end of this decade-long study, in, in addition to multiple offshoot studies which have stemmed from it. To name a few, and I'd be doing an injustice just to name three, but one, it highlighted the seriousness of lupus in Hispanic patients, which we take into account every time we have a patient who's coming into the ED with features of a lupus flare, we take into account what what ethnicity they're from and how severe this disease could be in them. Secondly, the importance of socioeconomic factors. So from health insurance to poverty to years of education, in fact, they found that early mortality in lupus was predicted by disease activity and most strongly by poverty, which says a lot. And thirdly, Dr. Birnbaum, you mentioned Plaquenil being the cornerstone of this whole, uh, our whole practice of rheumatology and where would we be without Plaquenil? But this study is the one which showed us the role of Plaquenil in preventing damage accrual and reducing mortality in lupus patients. So I think Even though we knew there were health disparities in rheumatology, Lumina was the one that actually shed light on the impact and what we should be looking for for the first time in room history. So as Brian nicely summarized for us, even though in 20 years, we're going to have a bunch of therapeutic agents whose names we can't even pronounce, and they're going to be fighting each other in room madness, we still have to understand that there's a strong, constant undercurrent that we need to know the patient as a whole, that includes social determinants of health, ethnicity, and how this plays into their disease before we pick which MAB or agent comes up next. So that's why we feel like Lumina is going to shoot the lights out in this year's Room Madness competition. Amazing. Lakshmi bringing it with that. That's amazing. Already throwing some shade at some of the other teams. (laughs) I like it. That's good. We got to do that in Room Madness. Uh, All right, Brian and Laura, anything to add to that? 
Okay, I'd add to Lakshmi's fantastic intro. This is Laura. I'm a first-year rheumatology fellow at Northwestern. You know, in addition to our base article that we're citing in our scouting report that highlights the first 10 years of data coming out of Lumina, this is a cohort that's really been transformational in the study of lupus and has led to over 75 publications. And in speaking with a lot of our mentors like Dr. Ramsey Goldman, Dr. Blanco, uh, the Lumina study really inspired a whole generation of lupus researchers and rheumatologists, especially from diverse backgrounds, especially women, um, to delve into this field and really address health disparities in lupus and other rheumatologic diseases. Thank you for bringing that up, Laura. And you know what? I think it's really interesting that you brought up the inspiration of future researchers, not just future research. And that's really fascinating. I mean, I think the Blue Ribbon Panel is going to have a really difficult time this year uh, making decisions between these articles. But you know, there are some articles where, um, you know, we talked about already, it um, it broadened our mind, not just about what the article showed, but what it could do. So scleroderma, cyclophosphamide, oh, this is really treatable. We could, like, we need to find more like this. You know, in the previous podcast, we were talking about, um, you know, the formation of citrullinated peptides um, with porphyromonas gingivalis and how that plays into the patho- pathogenesis of rheumatoid arthritis. And that really got us thinking about the microbiome and commensal bacteria, et cetera, and, and uh, disease pathogenesis in general. But you all just made the argument. I think this is an amazing suggestion that, um, you know, Lumina, in addition to its foundational studies or foundational findings, um, inspired researchers um, in a whole field. And I think that's a really interesting line of thinking. You know, we, I told you, we, we covered this in our own fellowships uh, journal club this morning. And, you know, we also were thinking about the Be Well study where, you know, um, there's the study of um, Black women in the Atlantic area um, showing that racism and experience of racism is associated with increased disease activity beyond just other uh, social determinants of health. And I think Lumina set the stage for studies like that. So um, really interesting. Um, uh, And I really appreciate you all bringing it. But, you know, it's uh, matched up against a pretty, pretty good one as well. So, uh, Meredith, you've written the last scouting reports for this uh, tournament. This is, this is the second one you've been involved with. So this is the leadership team scouting report. We were really struggling to find something that could match up in a way that really fit with the Lumina uh, theme. And so instead of finding another cohort, what we decided to do is focus on um, patient-reported outcomes and rheumatology's role in developing patient-reported outcomes. And so we took it back to the original um, hack article and <laughs> Meredith um, really spearheaded our leadership team's creation of that scouting report. So Meredith, you want to tell us a little bit about that? You have a pretty good alternate team name for this one too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my name is Meredith. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Vanderbilt and I'm here talking about Ask the Pros with PAC um, on behalf of the Room Madness leadership team. So we all know that basketball fans are obsessed with stats. You can think about field goals, rebounds, assists, all kinds of things. But the truth is coaches can track a million different things on the court, but that doesn't necessarily translate into wins. It turns out that rheumatologists in the 70s and 80s were not so different from these coaches because they were grappling with finding measures that were clinically meaningful. And this team, Ask the Pros, represents the 1980 article by Fries and others, 
that established the first major patient-reported outcome scale in rheumatoid arthritis, which all of us probably know is the health assessment questionnaire or hack, or also called legacy hack because it's, you know, so important. And it was a game-changing play. It set the stage not only for more than 250 other patient-reported outcomes or pros or PROs in rheumatologic disease, but really it focused on the patient as a vital team member, maybe even the MVP. Meredith, thank you. It's great. Um, and it was really interesting. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was learning a ton as we were putting this uh, tournament together. And I really didn't know until we put this tournament together how, how integral rheumatology in particular was to the whole patient-reported outcome movement. And reading about um, mm -hmm. the hack and some of these patient-reported outcomes that were developed, um, it's really fascinating um, to see that. And really, it makes sense. Rheumatology is a perfect specialty. I mean, we um, it's the perfect specialty in general, of course, um, <laughs> that specialty. But, you know, it's it's the perfect specialty to, to do that. I mean, we see our patients, we partner with them. We, you know, 90% of what we do is listen to how they're doing and assess their disease activity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, it's a great scouting report and we'll see how it matches up. I'm, uh, it's going to be a tough, tough, uh, tough region. That's a really tough region. I think yeah. it's almost a shame. They're both such important and interesting studies. It'll be tough. It's a good one. Well, speaking of tough, uh, at the uh, very bottom of the bracket um, on the right side, we are taking it all the way back. So we've done some studies, um, you know, from the 70s this evening, uh, the previous um, podcast, we did a study from the 50s, but we're really getting into the 1800s in the bottom uh, bottom side of this bracket. We're talking about the actual origins of our specialty in general. So the region is called the origin story. And this region, uh, we have cortisone uh, from the University of Colorado a fellowship program matched up against the winner of either the origin of rheumatoid arthritis and the origin of systemic JIA. Um, so I am delighted that uh, Smarika, you're on here to, from the University of Colorado to talk to us about cortisone and why you all chose this article for one of the origins of uh, rheumatology in general. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And then I would like to give credit to uh, my colleague, co-fellow, Dr. Dave uh, DeFrancisco, and uh, my program director, Dr. Kolfenbach, Jason Kolfenbach, who three of us uh, uh, wrote this scouting report. I would I would say that you know this is uh, probably the top contender for for the room madness competition. And the reason I say is like this is an article by uh, Dr. Henshan Group, and that was published all the way back in 1949. At that time, our concept of rheumatoid arthritis is, was it is a microbial you know it is caused by microbial uh, infectious diseases. So a lot of the sulfasalazine was used for rheumatoid arthritis based on that. And in the midst of that, Dr. Hench kind of observed that, hey, patients who are pregnant, who have jaundice, you know, we are certainly noticing that these patients have remission in rheumatoid arthritis. You know, this was the concept was RA is not a reversible condition by any means. It's just a reversible, relentless condition that leads to this profound disability. And, uh, you know, with that, he uh, eventually did multiple hit and trial, used multiple different type of pro uh, compounds, and then landed up with this compound called compound E, which is the 17-hydroxy-11-dehydrocortisone, 
uh, corticosterone, or you know, now we know as glucocorticoid, and then tried the, this uh, compound in 14 uh, different patients who had pretty severe RA. So, and then this is this study is basically an account of all those 14 patients and how they did with the administration of compound E. Uh, and then, you know, it's just very, it's remarkable. Like the first patient they described was a young 29-year-old woman who was like in the hospital in Mayo Clinic, not able to move, bed-bound, you know, had like erosive hip arthritis. Uh, and then by day three, day four of compound E administration, uh, she was able to get up and walk. And by day seven, she was able to go downstairs and do the grocery. Uh, so just the immediate improvement and rapid improvement. And uh, this was not just the uh, improvement in the function and the symptom, but also improvement in their inflammatory markers and anemia, appetite. And this was kind of followed by subsequent 13 patients who, who showed similar improvement as well. And they tried to like use a placebo arm uh, with the cholesterol injection. And then immediately following that, the patient started having recurring symptoms uh, of uh, rheumatoid arthritis again. And then when they reinstituted the compound E again, uh, the, you know, the symptoms were resolved. Um, so, I, you know, why? Why this article? I guess uh, Dr. Bernbaum was mentioning, uh, can we imagine our field without Plaquenil, where we would be as a rheumatologist without Plaquenil? Now think about it, where we would, where we would be without a glucocorticoid, like, you know, think about that call you received at uh, midnight, hey, a patient with diffuse alveolar hemorrhage is in ICU on high vent settings, what do we do? You know, go for glucocorticoid. So think about the contribution Dr. Hench and his colleagues have made and, uh, and I think it's not just the therapeutic implication, but also from a pathogenic standpoint, he, he really refuted the microbial uh, pathogenic basis of the disease and really uh, supported that this is some sort of a biochemical pathogenic basis of the disease. And he, that led to opening of this whole, uh, you know, therapeutic implication down the line for the rheumatoid arthritis. And not only that, they, they tried similar compound and ACTH in multiple other autoimmune diseases. They tried it in myasthenia gravis, they tried also in lupus, and there was some there was success in that as well. Uh, so I, I think needless to say, you know, corticosteroid is one of the foundational medication for our, our field. I know we don't like corticosteroid. I know that's kind of like our two year of fellowship, like, you know, we need to get the patient off of the steroid somehow, but in the right clinical context, you know, in the short term, when we have a patient who's dying in front of us because of heart diseases, you know, this is probably our only best option, even though we are instituting some other long-term life-saving medication like you know, the RAVE study or maybe the cyclophosphamide, but may, may not be effective in the short term and might have to reach out for the, that good old glucocorticoid. So I would say this is a tough contender. And finally, icing on the cake, uh, you know, needless to say, they won a Nobel, a Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology in 1950. Uh, for the contribution and the, the implication the glucocorticoids and, and the related compounds had on you know, multiple of the diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis. So a big one, I would say. That was an amazing overview of this. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, this, is a, this is a big topic. And uh, what an amazing review of that topic. I mean, uh, you make some really strong arguments, uh, I have to say. And, you know, I've often been told that if steroids didn't have side effects, there wouldn't be rheumatologists. And I'm not sure that that's true. Um, I think if there weren't steroids, there wouldn't be rheumatologists. <laughs> uh, 
Um, because as you mentioned that they, uh, it, this really was foundational for our, our field as a whole to think about, um, what we can actually do for our patients. You know, I, I, I for some report long ago, I was uh, reading these old articles for sarcoidosis and I came across this one, I think it was from the fifties where somebody with refractory sarcoid. And I just remember reading the patient was transferred to a tertiary care facility that had access to cortisone. And I just remember my mind being blown by that. Um, so wouldn't it be really fun if, you know, I mean, in um, our first year of the tournament, it, it was like um, the, the year of the tournament where we hated on steroids. So we had, you know, articles like Avacapan, Frank Avasculitis, trying to be a steroid sparing agent. We had Samira for rheumatoid arthritis and limiting steroids. We had the harms of short-term steroids, um, even steroid tapers and how common they are and what the side effects of that are. Um, there were so many studies in that first year talking about um, how we can reduce corticosteroids. And wouldn't it be interesting if cortisone was the thing that won out in uh, this year's tournament? So we will see. Um, so it's matched up against these two teams, which also take it back to our understanding of what the diseases that we treat actually are. So um, our fellowship program at Duke uh, wrote a scouting report for the origins of rheumatoid arthritis. So if you are a medical student thinking about um, participating in room madness and you're wondering, you know, what contributions can you make to this field? Well, all the way back in 1800, um, a medical student, Augustin Jacob Landre Beauvoir, um, is actually the person who is most credited with dis definitively describing rheumatoid arthritis as a different disease than gout. And I think. Um, it's going to be a little tough because if you really dig, there are some earlier case reports of what rheumatoid arthritis is. It's been described. I mean, there are some that can even go back and look at paintings and see evidence of rheumatoid arthritis affecting um, uh, people even before this description. Um, so it's not that rheumatoid arthritis didn't exist. It's not that people weren't thinking about it, but it seems like it is generally agreed on that this is the most definitive description of rheumatoid arthritis. And we had to put this in the tournament, you know, I mean, this is our, you know, our uh, main disease that we see far more of than anything else. Um, and I think our fellows did a really good job of uh, putting this scouting, scouting report together. But it's up against another really amazing scouting report um, written by George Still of Still's. Can disease. I talk about this one? Oh, yes, please do. So we um, did this one in our fellowship journal club just last week. And I presented on this um, JIA, um, the origin story. So um, I don't know if any of you have ever actually gone back and read um, articles or medical papers from the 1800s, but they are so poetic and so um, perfect in describing the diseases um, that the patients were afflicted with. And this article did an absolutely great job of um, making rheumatologists realize in 1896 that pediatric JIA is different to adult RA. And um, like um, Dr. Leverins was saying, it was, it was written by Dr. George Still of the Hospital for Sick Children in London. And it's just a beautiful um, paper to read. So if you guys get time, do read it. Um, but he's also I believe the one who um, described Stills disease and described systemic GIA and helped uh, us identify 
uh, rheumatic diseases in children. Um, and I think it was so important because well, children are the future of the world. And so um, we have to focus on their health a lot too. And one more thing I would like to add um, for room madness discussion. Um, everything always goes back to the origin story. There's nothing without it. In the uh, argument of chicken or the egg, I would say the origin stories come first. Um, and that's where rheumatology, you know, uh, the field was created. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for reviewing it. I mean, you're right. It is a beautiful article, like so well written. And um, yeah, I just, I want to credit the amazing team from Montefiore um, Pediatric Rheumatology Fellowship Program for writing the scouting report for this one. They are so brave. They are um, two years in a row, the only pediatric rheumatology fellowship program who has written a scouting report for room madness. And I have to say, you know, they think in their scouting report, which is amazing that they're an underdog. I don't know. Um, uh, this is a really good report. And um, on the strength of the, the description that George still had and the implications for the entire field of pediatric rheumatology, I think this is definitely a strong contender in this year's tournament. And I'm really interested to know what the Blue Ribbon panel is going to do with this one. So, you know, I'm really sorry the panelists and the people listening can't see that the person who just described this pediatric child trial is holding her baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which now I think is a prop. <laughs> that would be that. Yeah. That's an advantage for that. You know? Yeah. When you said children are the future of the world, I mean, you're holding one. So <laughs> we love babies at room madness. It's great. Well, I mean, I, I have to just ask, so we're going to take, spend a few minutes now that we've talked about all the teams, you know, here's the fun part, you know, who is going to win? Um, so I, I want to just start by asking um, the folks um, on this podcast who they think is going to win the right side of the bracket in general. And if there's any team on the other side of the bracket that they'd really like to see matched up. Lauren, um, you were a region leader. Um, You've read a lot of these scouting reports and provided feedback, um, You know, participated in writing one of them. I just, I'm curious, uh, what do you think is going to happen in this right side of the bracket? Yeah, I think the right side is a very exciting side of the bracket. And I, I am um, a little biased to this region, the whole patient. I do think Lumina is going to ultimately take uh, take the win on this one. I mean, it sparked awareness on the absolute need to include diverse patients in our in our trials and then the implications in women's health, including like cardiovascular disease in our patients, reproductive health. I mean, if we remember back to last season's tournament, that was the winner. So totally understand different blue ribbon panel could be totally different this year, but certainly a really, really important topic that I think will will go very far. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, definitely. Yeah. If we're continuing on the theme from last year's tournament, it definitely fits with that theme. So who else wants to throw out their opinion, um, you know, throw some shade at your competitors? Well. Um... The SLS1 study is great, and it's definitely going to win in its region. Um, but as far as uh, the origin stories, again, I will pitch in for them. Uh, Game of Thrones needed a House of Dragons, and so rheumatology needs a origin story. And so, again, we won't be rheumatologists if we didn't have those diseases identified in the, at the very beginning. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting. Dave, you came off mute. What do you, what are you thinking? 
Oh, so I know we're on the left side, but I figured we'll come in for the right side. Um, I'm going to shout out to Dr. Birnbaum here. Um, the hydroxychloroquine withdrawal study was as seminal a paper as humanly possible in the world of rheumatology. Um, in terms of the way that it finally proved what we kind of already knew, with the amount of patients that it impacts, I mean, I agree with the statements about we wouldn't have rheumatoid arthritis to study if we didn't know rheumatoid arthritis existed. But the things that have come forward as a result of that, as much as I hate to argue this, one could argue that would have been figured out somewhere along the way over and over and over again, right? The origin stories may have been there in Michelangelo's paintings, as you mentioned way back when, just like the origin story of gout may be from the book that was written in the 1600s where they show the picture of the demon biting the foot. So there's so many different possibilities for that opportunity. But in terms of patient impact, which is the most important thing of what we do every day of our lives, one could argue that Plaquenil study, the hydroxychloroquine study, revamped the way that we do everything we do in the practice of lupus management. And we wouldn't be where we are today in terms of preventing lupus flares without it. Lupus being a disease that affects millions of people every day of their lives and has catastrophic outcomes that are reduced by the presence of that drug. Um, so for me, that's the that's the uh, that's the one to fight. I love it. I love it. I love throwing it out there. This is all about getting your opinion out there and seeing seeing what sticks. I do have to throw out here. I, to my knowledge, the Blue Ribbon panel does not take into account any comments made on the podcast. Although I don't know, Belinda, you can tell me if you listened the last year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Listen to every single one, every <laughs> single word. <laughs> well, we have a great panel this year um, and we'll see what they make of this. Anybody else have a, have a thought on, on, uh, on the, on the bracket as a whole? Just want to say, if we were like the NBA All-Star Game East Conference versus West Conference, the right side of the bracket would go down. As a whole, our side, way stronger, more compelling. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. Well, it's going to be interesting. I am. Um, I just want to say I'm so thankful for everyone on this podcast, for everything that you did to put together your scouting reports all the work that you and your co-fellows or co-residents or um, co-attendings did to put together these scouting reports. Um, you know, we've said it in the previous uh, podcast, but I'll say it again. Um, there were 131 uh, people engaged in writing these scouting reports across the entire country, um, which is just, I mean, that's the dream of Room Madness, collaborative learning. Um, we're going to build this knowledge together. Um, together, we're going to, you know, think about some of the most important studies that have ever been done in the rheumatology. And, you know, so for me, this has been an incredible history lesson. I feel more like a rheumatologist after having learned about these teams, because I understand how we got to be where we are today. And honestly, it's been inspirational um, to read them and to think about what the future might be like. Um, and so I hope everyone has the same experience as they read these scouting reports. Um, you're going to learn a lot from them. And just it, you know, this is the all-star season and the all-stars of this season truly are the scouting report authors who put so much effort into creating these learning resources for our participants. Um, so um, I will just encourage everyone to go out and read them and then submit a bracket, put your two cents in there and see if your picks line up with what our Blue Ribbon panel think. 
So with that, we're going to close this podcast and uh, hope everyone participates in the tournament. Thank you all. And good all right. luck to the Blue Ribbon panel.